If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at tntradio.live. The conversation continues with James Freeman on today's News Talk TNT Radio. Hello and welcome to the Freeman Report, the show that puts the world's leading scientists, doctors, politicians and expert commentators right at the heart of today's News Talk TNT and our fight for freedom, liberty and justice. My name is James Freeman and on today's show, um, I'll be interviewing Steve Kirsch um, and Basically, we're going back and revisiting this whole, um, um, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, the leaked data from New Zealand, the government leaked data on the jabs. Obviously, when that was launched, um, it was actually a story that broke um, on this show, on the Freeman Report with Liz Gunn, um, who is very, very, she's a journalist from New Zealand who works very closely with Barry Young, who is the whistleblower who leaked the data. Now, when it was launched, it was the mother of all revelations. That was how it was presented. Um, there were different um, statisticians across the world which got the data um, and drew some conclusions. And the early conclusions were that it proved that um, the jabs are killing people. Now, this isn't about whether the jabs are killing people, by the way, um, ladies and gentlemen. This is more about does this data show that? Um, the data itself... Um, isn't perfect. Um, there are there have been around 12 million doses um, of the COVID injections in New Zealand, and this data set um, represents um, 4 million of those doses. So it's about 33% of the overall data. It also doesn't include any unvaccinated people either. So there is no control group um, to the data. Um, the data itself comes also as part of the paper dose scheme that is in New Zealand, where chemists and, and other locations get paid um, to actually dish out these doses. So it's not perfect, but that doesn't mean there is nothing um, in the data. Now, Steve's analysis um, is based upon methodology that is used by the Office for National Statistics here in the UK. Um, so it is a, a valid um, methodology. He's absolutely um, adamant that um, his conclusions stand, that the the data itself does show um, that um, the jabs are killing people. Now, one of the proponents or criti um, criticizers of Steve's conclusion has been Dr. Shiva. Um, quite early on, he got a copy of the data, but it wasn't the full data set that Steve got. It was a anonymized data set, so changes had been made. However, Dr. Shiva um, basically dissed all of um, Steve Kirsch's conclusions. Um, he was on the show this um, um, earlier this week. And when I tried to put it to him and question him on what exactly it is about Steve's um, analysis and also, you know, the conclusions with the, me with the methodology that he's using so that he's using seasonality and looking for when deaths are going down overall in the population, and the fact that they're still there's they they rise within this data set. Um, Dr. Shiva was very um I wouldn't say avoided the question, but when I put that that question to him, he didn't um address it specifically um and just said that he had a presentation that he'd send me um showing why Steve's conclusions are wrong. Now I've looked at those presentations, and to be honest with you. They're about an hour and a half long, and they focus all on pretty much on the fact that lockdowns um, are killing people. And that's 
what we should look at next time rather than addressing the specific question is steve um kirsch's conclusions wrong so i don't feel we have a definitive answer um the waters have been muddy um dr shiva was also um quite um derogatory i would say i don't think he would argue with me on that um towards steve kirsch he, he called him a name and then just dissed him without actually addressing the fundamental um questions around steve's conclusions so um in terms of where we stand i personally think the question is still open whether actually there is this data is showing something um i do wonder if even if it is showing something um whether it's too late now because a lot of scientists around the world don't want to touch it um the data because of course um there was a private company mega um that actually took down the servers of some of the scientists which were holding the data at the behest of the new zealand government so i i'm not quite sure where we go from here in terms of this data but i think it's fair that we give steve a chance to explain what he's done um once more um and why he disagrees with dr shiva and that's what today's um freeman report is all about we had dr shiva on the show earlier this week well, today um, we're going to hear from Steve Kirsch. So stay tuned for that um, in a moment right here on TNT Radio. Bringing you a worldview. I like to hear what's going on around the world. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Gemma, happy Friday. Yes, indeed. It is Friday, isn't it? I mean, I was remarking earlier in the week of how quick my time here goes compared to my time at my last employer, where I literally used to look at the hands of the clock on a daily basis when I was on shift. And they, the, 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 the second hand used to go backwards, I swear, because you know when you're in the wrong place in life because everything feels sluggish and heavy and difficult. And you know when you're in the right place, no matter if it's a relationship, a work relationship or a situation, because everything goes so quick, time flies, because literally your vibration changes. And that that's a thing, you know, some people call it the quickening, um, some people just call it time flies, but I, definitely with me, no sooner is it Monday morning on TNT, then it's, it, it's Friday with you. And I think, where's the week gone? Yeah. Same for me, to be honest with you. Um, it really sometimes, well, I can't believe it's Friday already today. Um, it is great, obviously, working with TNT. They're a fantastic station. And um, doing what you want to do anyway, um, because, look, if I wasn't on air, um, I'd be doing this um, in some form anyway, because, obviously, we're not just we are journalists but we're not just journalists um we're doing this for a reason because we want to get the truth out and that is the most important thing about tnt it's not just another station clearly um it is um a station with a purpose um you know so um so yeah fantastic Gemma, what um what story have you got for us today well, as it's Friday, I really did want to try and end the week on a positive note. I try to do this wherever possible. I've I've covered some quite uh, horrific stories today, actually, and most of which have come out of America. But I thought I'd try and pick a British story uh, that's come out today to to kind of end the end the week on a positive note. And it's something I haven't really uh, discussed much uh, through the start of 2024. I did talk about it a lot in 2023 on various shows across. 
TNT. And that's Sadiq Khan's much despised ultra low emission zone scheme, which obviously has been rolled out, you know, not just in central London, but the greater London area, despised by many, you know, many attempts to destroy the cameras. You've got the, the Blade Runners, the ULES Warriors. And it's an important story. It doesn't just apply to London and the greater London area, because, of course, the World Health Organization last year came out and said look, we're watching this with great interest. And we want this to be successful. If it is, we're going to encourage other mayors across the world to take it up. So it's clearly part of the globalist agenda. So as ultra low emission zones, as, as you know, many listeners and watchers will know that if you drive into certain parts of London <clears throat> in a certain type of vehicle, you will get a fine. And lots of people have been fined. But the good news today that's just come out is that... Uh, Lots of appeals against these fines have gone through the courts and then uh, Transport for London have had to uphold them. And more than 65% of appeals against these hated fines, these £12.50 charges, ULES charges, have been successful in a very short space of time. Um, there were more than 52,000 fines overturned by December last year for a happy Christmas present for many. Um, and the, the way it works is that you get one of these fines and then you've got 28 days to appeal it. Uh, Transport for London, in their credit, I suppose if you can call it that, they say that, you know, if you have got mitigating circumstances, then we will look at those mitigating circumstances. And even if the fine is justified, so you had the wrong vehicle with the wrong emissions in the wrong place, if you've got mitigating circumstances, we will we will overturn the fine. And that's exactly what's been happening um also you've got this thing of like paying in 14 days and you'll get 50% off which applies to lots of fines here in the UK uh, interestingly 4000 of these fines were issued with the the vans and not the cameras you know the mobile ULES vans that drive around London parking in very strategic places where they think they're likely to catch more people but i think it's a positive one to end the week on where people are clearly not just maybe they would have done this prior to 2020 they're not just getting the fine in the post and thinking oh, stuff it, I'll just pay and I'll pay within the first 14 days and I'll get the discount. I'm not going to make a fuss. People now are making a fuss with these fines. They're so despised and they're, and they're going through the proper channels and they're getting these fines overturned. And I do rather wonder if it's an indication of this kind of a shift in perception and shift in behavior that's happened since 2020, where people are now standing up against the system. Uh, and, and even if it's a hassle, and even if it takes letters, and it takes, you know, an appeal process, which can be a bit convoluted, they're prepared to do it anyway, just to say to the system, no, 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 I'm not having it, you know, because that 14 days, you'll get a reduction is often enough to make people pay fines of all kinds of fines, you know, parking fines and all the different charges. Um, but people are clearly saying, to Sadiq Khan, we're not having this, and uh, and they're winning, which is great. And of course, it does come days after Sadiq Khan, the mayor of London, was accused of illegally taking information off European drivers who have no idea about the ultra-low emission scheme, but are here on holiday or on business. And he was using that to issue fines willy-nilly. One French driver got fined 25,000, I think, either euros or pounds. Um, so he's come under fire for trying to make money that way. So good for people standing up against the fines, good for people standing up against the system. There's a nice little positive story James, to end the week on a Friday with you. Yeah, I do wonder, Gemma, because there was that guy, wasn't there, that challenged the actual signage um, around, especially around the periphery um, areas. And actually, because other there's certain other boroughs that refuse to put the signs up, they're in conservative um, boroughs, um, it means that it wasn't totally clear that you were going into the zone. And he had that upheld um, um, by the court. Um, so I do wonder if um, if it's anything to do with that, maybe, but also it's probably a um, PR exercise as well. 
because it's so unpopular, isn't it? Um, the, the the expanded ULES um, scheme that I wonder if they're just letting people off while they're trying to fight this and just let it kind of bed in and get people. They just think probably that over time people will just put up with it and, and forget about it and move on um, with what they're angry at, become angry at something else maybe. Um, I do hope that's not the case. Um, it is good that these fines um, are being um, overturned, but um, at the end of the day, um, we want rid of it, um, you know, and obviously there's an election this year, so hopefully that will happen. Anyway, thank you for that positive story, Gemma, to end the week. Um, I hope you have a great weekend and look forward to speaking with you next week. And to the rest of you, um, stay um, stay put um, because we've got a fantastic interview coming up with Steve Kirsch and myself. It does address Dr. Shiva's. Um, so he came on the show earlier this week and put his side of the case on this data. So um, you're just about to hear Steve Kirsch's side of the story. So stick with me, James Freeman on today's News Talk TNT. TNT's Abby Roberts. So this is the headline in The Guardian. Pleasure of sex is a gift from God, but avoid porn. Pope advises. What is it with religious people and sex? Isn't there anything else that's, that's, that's more important to worry about? And this is what, uh, this is what Pope Francis uh, say. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it in an Italian accent just to be even more offensive. Sexual pleasure is a gift from God, but Catholics must avoid pornography, Pope Francis has said. The pontiff, oh, I'll tell you what though, he was all for giving people lots of pricks during 2021. Bloody hell, mRNA's fine, but just not porn. Abby Roberts on TNT. The next time you think you can illegally handle your mobile phone while driving and get away with it, think again. Phone detection cameras are in operation on New South Wales roads. Hello? So if you're driving and illegally handle your mobile phone... You can stop it or cop it. This is the Freeman Report on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Right. Well, as I was saying in the introduction, I've been really looking forward to this interview for a long time now. Um, I was actually chasing Steve Kirsch um, back in December um, to get him on this show. Um, and of course, this week's been very eventful with Dr. Shiva coming on the show. Um, and eventful in many ways because... You know, I did question him on Steve's analysis of the New Zealand leaked data. And Dr. Shiva didn't really have a lot to say on the actual analysis itself. Um, he resorted to calling Steve names. Um, but regardless, I'm absolutely delighted that Steve's with me now. Hello, Steve. How are you doing? James, good to be here. Well, thank you for coming on the Freeman Report. Now, Steve, um, I've been doing a bit of re digging around and um, do some research on you today. Um you are one of two people that invented the optical mouse. Um, you founded InfoSeek, the search engine, which was sold on to Disney. Um, you founded a company called Frame Technology Corp, which was sold to Adobe and a whole host of other companies. And, and I'm a crypto guy as well. And I see that you've even um, started a company which markets blockchains to the big banks. Um so you've got a proven track record in creating successful startups and selling them on to the big boys. What would you say are the key characteristics someone needs to be successful doing this? 
And what would you say are your inspirations, the things that drive you? Uh, you know, I think it's probably having a vision about something that you want to do and be passionate about doing it. And then against all odds and against all sorts of uh, roadblocks that are going to be put in your way, uh, you still have the drive to succeed and, and be successful. I think those are the, probably the, the top characteristics. And growing up, I mean, did you have any um, any role models? Um, were there anything that kind of in, inspired you? Because um, you're obviously clearly a creative um, guy and a driven guy um, to, to to start up and and create all of these successful companies. I I think I probably had a lot of role models, and I wouldn't single out any uh, person. Um, uh, in that, uh, just a lot of people that I, I learned from uh, th over the years, and uh, I have a lot of respect for, and um, I think I was uh, very fortunate uh, in in my very early days. This is uh, before going to college. I had an opportunity to uh, to work at the uh, Network Measurement Center on the ARPANET, and that was at UCLA, and so I met people worked people or worked with people like uh, uh, Vince Cerf and John Postel uh, there, you know, these are people who created the internet. So um, it was really, uh, uh, I was really quite lucky. Yeah. And um, have you got any more um, companies in your pocket that you're working on? Any more new big projects that you're working on at the moment? Uh, no, I, 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 Shifted from being a a startup company executive to uh, now I'm a journalist uh, full time. I I write about uh, I've written over thirteen hundred articles on my Substack uh, since starting this a couple of years ago, and uh, and I enjoy that because the world needs more people that are doing what I'm doing, which is writing stories that tell the truth about what's going on. And, you know, two years ago, I actually didn't think there was a need for what I'm doing today. And the more I look into this, the more I realize that there is a need for a lot more people uh, that do what I, what I do and, and do what other people like Del Bigtree uh, do, which is to look into these issues and to tell the truth about what's really going on. Yeah, and you are a very welcome voice um, to the party, I think, because I think one of the benefits you, well, clearly one of the benefits I think you bring is you don't have any fear. You say what you think, and there's an awful lot of people um, that are unable or unwilling to do that. Um, Steve, I mean, you know, you've obviously been in the business community for very many years. You must have lots of contacts across that community. How has what you're doing now impacted that? Do you have the same um, live in the same circles as you do, or have you been um, cut off by certain circles? Well, I'd say that there are a lot of people who don't talk to me anymore. Uh, they believe I'm uh, um, a force for evil. Uh, that the work that I'm doing is costing lives, uh, and that they don't want to associate with me anymore. So there, there are certainly a number of people in that category. But on the other hand, there are a million people who really enjoy what I'm doing and are extremely grateful uh, for what I'm doing. And 
You know, never before in my life do I get so many people who walk up to me and say, hey, can I take a selfie with you? I read everything you write. Fantastic. Well, Steve, um, after this this short break, what we're going to do is we're going to start talking um, about the the data, the New Zealand leaked data, um, and about how you went about that research. Because I think, you know, looking at the data itself, um, it's clear that it, it wasn't quite what I thought it was when I first heard about it. There are gaps in it. So I'd be really interested to hear how you've gone about the analysis, how confident you are um, in that analysis. And then I've got some questions, um, a few questions um, that Dr. Shiva posed, um, which I've um, he sent me today, which I'll put to you. Um, so stick with me, James Freeman on TNT Radio. Have you heard the news? The news, the news. Now, TNT Radio News. This is the news. Matt Boyland here with a quick look at your TNT headlines. US Vice President Kamala Harris has been called out for her hypocrisy after sensationally warning Americans not to vote for Donald Trump because he'd go after his political enemies. In a stunning show of solidarity, 25 US states have vowed to stand with Texas in its fight to defend the southern border. And a new survey has found 28% of Generation Z adults in America are now either gay, lesbian, bisexual or something else entirely. On air and on the app. I listen on the app. Stay up to date around the clock. I listen, therefore I know. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Right, now Steve, before we start actually talking about the data, as I mentioned earlier, Dr. Shiva um, was on the show this week. We talked about many things. We talked about US politics, but we also talked about the um, New Zealand government leaked data. And I did put him, um, put to him, um, your analysis, what it was based on, and the conclusions um, that you made. And to be honest with you, he didn't actually have that much to say about the data itself. Um, he was quite derogatory, he called you some names. What, what's your view? Because you have had a few um, interactions now with Dr. Shiva. Obviously, he um, held that large X Spaces um, event um, before Christmas. Um, he's also had um, held some other events. Um and, you know, he's not included you in them whilst criticising you. What do you make um, of his approach um, and um, some of the things that he has to say? Well, I try to avoid uh, 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 criticising people. I, I just think that we should be focused on the data. Um, so I'll be pretty brief here. Uh, he's uh, said things that are simply not true. Uh, it appears that he's never really seriously taken a look at my analysis, and he seems to spend more time with ad hominem attacks than he is talking about the data. I was able to get on a space with him when I was able to ask him some questions, and he completely deflected. He wouldn't answer any of my questions, uh, which were about the data, and instead he just went into attack mode. And so people like that, um, I, I don't have a, a, a great amount of respect for, I think it's probably the most polite thing uh, to say. And plus he won't, uh, he won't be challenged. He, you know, I, I, I said, Hey, I'd like to chat with you about what you said on the X space that you did with Kim.com. Um, because I think you're mistaken about it. And could we have a conversation some, sometime? And he said, sure, but I'm busy right now. And he never called me back. So he doesn't want to engage, and anytime he engages, he basically avoids talking about the data 
and just launches into uh, ad hominem attacks. I mean, you know, when uh, you interviewed him, he said that uh, he said that I was working for the government. <laughs> and I, I said, James, look, hey, if you can find that I'm working from, for the government, James, I am offering you right now 10% of whatever I'm making from, um, from the government. Um, so, cause I, I haven't seen any checks at all from the government. So if I'm employed by the government, I, uh, I have no clue. <laughs> They're certainly not paying me. And, uh, <laughs> there's, there's no contact, no government contact that I'm aware of. So if you can find that out from him, I'd be, uh, <laughs> very grateful. Cause I mean, you know, it's things like I'll this. I'll certainly and then, try it, Steve, for, for 10%, I'll certainly give it a go. <laughs> yeah. Well, 10, James, 10% of nothing is nothing. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, okay. It's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. up to you how much time you want to spend on that. But, <laughs> you know, it's just, uh, he's just blatantly lying to people. It's me. He's making this stuff up out of thin air. And uh, the more concerning thing is that we should be talking about the data. Now, I never heard Dr. Shiva talk about his time series cohort analysis. Now, he never said my time series cohort analysis was incorrect. He never said that the spreadsheet, which provides the visualizations for the time series cohort analysis, was incorrect. He found no errors in any of the tools I created or any of the data that I processed. And when you look at the, the visualizations, there's no way you can explain those visualizations uh, other than that the vaccine was causing people to die at a higher rate than they should have. Yeah, and we'll talk about the data um, in a moment. Um, my kind of conclusion, because I did um, have contact with Dr. Shiva again today because I didn't feel that he really addressed your analysis and, and gave the reasons why he, he disagreed with them. And he sent me a couple of presentations. I've spent a lot of time today watching um, those presentations. And to be honest with you, um, it felt like it was muddying the waters a bit because what the presentations were about were the fact that the damage that lockdown downs have actually done and the fact that they might have killed people. Um, there was no direct um, uh, him of him sort of addressing the actual fundamentals of the analysis itself. Um, I think the only comment that he made actually was that the data was incomplete. So we'll, let's start with the data, Steve. Um, I guess the first place to start then is explain what that data is, that New Zealand data, because it's not the whole population, is it? No, uh, it's from a uh, system called PaperDose. And so this is a, uh, a separate system. They have, apparently they have two systems in New Zealand and one of them, the pharmacy can be billed on a per dose basis uh, or pays on a per dose basis, or I, I don't know how it's done, but uh, in the database itself, there is actually a the fee charged and so forth. So it's a uh, it, it it was one of the two databases where they recorded people who got the shot. So it's both an administrative system in terms of a billing system as well as recording people who were vaccinated using the system. And depending on what pharmacy that you went to and who vaccinated you determines whether you got uh, into the paper dose database or not. So the database has about two. 
two, a little bit more than 2 million people uh, in it. And we know that about 4 million people in New Zealand were vaccinated from the official records, which um, I, I think are, are pretty close to accurate uh, as far as I can see. I think that uh, Health New Zealand, I commend them for doing a good job of really keeping track of the data. I enjoy uh, their site, their website. They have great visualizations on the site. The numbers match up what I'm seeing from the data leaked from, from Barry Young and, and so forth. So um, I don't think there's anything nefarious going on in terms of the quality of the data. But the point is that the, the data, you have basically the records for 2 million out of the 4 million people who are vaccinated. So you're missing half the data um, or half the individuals who are vaccinated. And you're also missing doses uh, for people. So you might have dose one for a person and dose three for a person, or you might have dose four for a person, but not dose one, two, and three, because the person didn't necessarily go to the same place to get each of their vaccine shots. And so that's why the data is incomplete. And I've offered uh, to look at the complete data if the Health New Zealand would send it to me, but they seem to be not interested in doing that. Yes, yes. And and the same with governments around the world, isn't it? So, um, yeah, I did have a look at this. So, yeah, absolutely. The figures that I've seen are exactly match what you're saying there. In terms of the dosage, though, I think it's about a third um, of the dosage data, isn't it? There's 4.2 million vaccination records, I think, in terms of doses, not people, um, in the data out of a total of 12 million. So I think this is the place to start. I mean, you know, let's um, be clear about the data. It is incomplete. And of course, I guess, you know, the perfect sort of data set would be a data set that also included unvaccinated people as well. So the data is incomplete. I think, you know, that that sort of criticism, which doesn't just come from Dr. Shiva, by the way, that comes from um, people in the UK as well and, and other people around the world. But, you know, I'm a former statistician. That doesn't necessarily mean you can't get some good results out of the data. So explain, given the fact that the data was incomplete, how did you go about actually doing the analysis? What methods did you use, Steve? Yeah, so the... Uh, the way I analyzed it, it, it just it, it, it's doesn't matter whether the <coughs> excuse me <coughs> the data is is complete or not. So I use the time series cohort analysis. It's the same methodology that's used that's used by the uh, UK Office of National Statistics, and they use that analysis method in order to show that the vaccine is safe. And so I used the exact same technique but I used finer buckets than they had because they just had about maybe two, three, four buckets um, in their uh, cohort analysis. And I have hundreds of buckets. And when you and say, so I, sorry, Steve, just so, just so that um, people um, watching this now can follow us along, what do you actually mean by buckets? So in a cohort time series analysis, what you're doing is you're analyzing what happens to a person after they get the intervention. And so a person who is vaccinated on a, on a specific day, um, they, um, they have both a live time and dead time uh, after they've been vaccinated. And so what, what we do is there's a record for each vaccination and, 
each date of they have a, a, a date of vaccination uh, and the dose number uh, for each person. And so what we do is we go through and, and let's say and we'll say we have four million records that we go through. And so we we iterate through the four million records and we say, OK, let's look at it on a specific day like May 1st, uh, 2021. And we're going to go through all the records and we're going to find out how many people were alive that week that spent a week in the bucket and how many people were dead um, in that bucket for that particular uh, day uh, of the year. And then you go through that for every single uh, day for 2021, 22, 23. And you keep track of how many people were alive and how many people are dead. And you also track it by dose number and by their age. And so you accumulate, by going through this, you accumulate statistics so that you know how many man years uh, of people were alive, of 70-year-olds, for example, who were alive within one week after they got the shot. How many people died? How many people of the 70-year-olds were alive two weeks after the shot? How many people died? How many people were alive three weeks after the shot? How many people died? And we do that for, you know, hundreds, over a hundred weeks after uh, the shot. So we keep all of these counters going and we accumulate the counters. And we do that until the end of the uh, the data. So <clears throat> if you have two, two years worth of data, and that's 104 weeks. And so we do it uh, on a week by week basis because we want to find out how does this how do we track this person over time? How did you do one week after the shot, two weeks after the shot, three weeks after the shot? If you're a seven-year-old, you know, what happens? Does your death mortality rate go up? Does it go down? Um, how does it vary in time? And then you have to look at what the, what's happening in the background because there's seasonality and seasonality affects people uh, who are much older much more than it affects younger people. So if you looked at deaths for young people, it, it fluctuates around the year but it's basically a straight line. Whereas for older people, you'll see these seasonal peaks uh, in the wintertime and then it'll uh, be low in the summertime and it'll come back in the wintertime and uh, go low. And, <clears throat> excuse me, for New Zealand, uh, they're in the Southern hemisphere and so that the dates are opposite. So in normally in the Northern hemisphere, uh, in December, January, the deaths are at a peak. In their case, the deaths are at a peak in July and August. And so it's just, just the, the uh, reverse. And so what you're looking for is you're looking for divergence between the what's going on in the background, whether the, the, the deaths are going up or going down versus what's happening to the vaccinated people. And so you're following these uh, a cohort, a fixed cohort of vaccinated people, people who got, who you know got dose number three. And you're saying, how do they die over time? Mm. Yeah, and as you said, this is um, analysis that's used by the Office for National Statistics. Now, Steve, we're just going to take a quick break. Um, and when we come back, I want to hear what your conclusions were. Now, obviously, the criticism um, from um, Dr. Shiva um, has been the fact that you haven't got this control group. Um, personally, I think, you know, um, that actually the method you're using is... Um, valid and you will get results but I also like to hear from you 
what you what confidence you actually have because of the fact that the data is incomplete and that will obviously affect the results i'll be really interested to hear um how confident you are um so stick with me james freeman on tnt radio the challenges our planet's animals are facing sometimes feel a bit heavy the animals haven't eaten in a day two days they haven't drank anything they're cold they're dehydrated as soon as we started our descent Everywhere I could see was mud, just absolutely mud. So the country has been prolonged for drought so long, it was like a tinderbox waiting to go up. Okay, very heavy. Each of us wants to be part of the solution, and we can be. Remember that there's good happening right now. At home. All right, we were able to get into the unit, and we have all four of your cats. So, uh... Uh, okay. And around the world, for any animal in any disaster. So let's focus on that, right? Be part of the solution, one rescue at a time. Search ifa.org forward slash disaster ready. Internet crimes against children in New Mexico are real. And when it comes to protecting your children, the New Mexico AG's office and the ICAC unit are on the front lines. I'm New Mexico Attorney General Hector Balderas. There's nowhere to hide for online predators in New Mexico. We are working tirelessly using state-of-the-art technology and resources to seek out and find them wherever they are. Please talk to your children about the dangers that exist online, social media, games, and messenger apps. It's always important to know who you're talking to. Help fight online predators in New Mexico by submitting a tip today. The Freeman Report and James Freeman on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Okay, Steve, so we've talked a little bit about the methods. We've also talked and and been quite honest about the fact that actually it is incomplete data. So that is going to affect, I guess, um, the confidence of the conclusions. We'll talk about that in a moment. Um, But firstly, Steve, what did you actually find um, um, from the analysis? Uh, What I found was the same thing that I found with the Medicare data is that if you got the shot and the death rates are going down in the background in the general public because of seasonality, that your death rate goes up. (laughs) And it's, it's unambiguous in the Medicare data. It's crystal clear. And I found exactly the same thing in the New Zealand data. And you can look at it all different ways and you will see that the effect happens whether deaths are going up, in which case your deaths are going up even higher. When deaths are going down, it's even more dramatic because your deaths are going up if you got the shot. Now, I've asked people to explain that. And what's really interesting is that if you ask four people to explain it, They'll give you four different explanations. Now, you and I know that if there is an explanation, there's one primary explanation, and there may be some secondary smaller effects, but it's an Occam's razor kind of thing. There's typically only, you know, unless it's a really unusual case, if there's an effect like this, there's only one primary cause for the effect like it. The, uh, the, that causes this. It's not, it could be a combination of effects, but that's more unlikely. It's usually just one cause. Now, 
I have, I've been doing this for a couple of years. So I've got an enormous amount of data that shows these vaccines are killing people at the rate of yeah, somewhere around one per thousand doses on average. And so it's, this is all, you know, so when you see data like this, you say, <clears throat> well, it has to be consistent with the other data. If there's a signal here, it's because the vaccines are causing harm because you should be able to find the vaccines causing harm because you know it's it's happening from these other data points. And I have hundreds of data points that people can't dispute. I mean, they can they can do hand-waving arguments, but when you look at the, the vast collection of data, it's it's clear that these vaccines have been killing people at an unprecedented rate. This is why we're seeing athletes dying on the field at an unprecedented rate. This is why there's this book out by Ed Dowd, Cause Unknown, got 500 uh, uh, people uh, covered in that book. And they've only found one person who was not vaccinated on that list. All the other 500 apparently were vaccinated or we don't know what their status is, but only one has come forward to say, oh, Ed, you made a mistake. I'm, I'm not vaccinated. But see, Ed just collected the, the list of people just from people who died unexpectedly. He didn't say that these were all unvaccinated people, but the very fact that there's only one unvaccinated people, a person in, the, in that group that died unexpectedly out of 500. Now, it could be that the, these people just didn't come forward, but I have other anecdotes. And there's a, a friend of mine, Jay Bonner, lost 14 people unexpectedly uh, since the shots rolled out. In his life, he's lost one person unexpectedly. So how could it be that in the last couple of years, he's lost 14 people and four of the 14 died on the same day that they got the shot and three out of the four were under 30. And one of them died in his sleep. He was like a 23-year-old who died in his sleep. I mean, these coincidences uh, can't happen if the shots are safe. And so we have lots of data that, that all confirm this. Uh, Denny Rancourt uh, did a great analysis. There's Ferris data. There's survey data. People, the American public's been surveyed and say, hey, I know as many people who died from the vaccine as died from COVID. So as an epidemiologist, if you cannot find a signal in this data from New Zealand, you are not competent as an epidemiologist. And so it's just a question of, okay, well, what analysis technique finds a signal and is that signal uh, correlated with the, uh, uh, with the jabs? And is there another uh, explanation for it? And so what you see are, are you see these very, very large effects and you see these effects in other countries as well. You see them in Israel, uh, for example, where the death rates just skyrocket after the person's been vaccinated and it starts, starts going up, you know, and there's no background reason for these. And you're seeing this in the UK. You're seeing this in, um, in the New Zealand data and in the US data. So you're seeing this, if they've got the shot, they're dying at a higher rate than people who didn't get the shot. You know, so, so this is not, it's, it's not a, 
You know, and it doesn't matter that you have a subset of people because you're following the subset who got the shot that you know about. It's a random subset of people who got shot three. I don't care whether they got shot two. I don't care whether they got shot one. I just care. Oh, look, they got shot four. They got shot four. Um, and the neat thing about shot four is that death rates are dropping in New Zealand when they get shot four. But if you got shot three and you take the group who got shot three, and it's a random group. It's not Barry didn't pick out the, uh, the frail or the elderly or whatever. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't even matter if he got all of the people with comorbidities. It doesn't matter if he got all the people who are healthy. It doesn't matter. Any group of people that you get, you're picking out a million people and you're tracking them over time. And it's a fixed set at T0. So you're, you're drawing a million people, right? And it's like, okay, how are they dying over time? Oh, the people in the background are, are dying less and less over time. On a on a week by week basis because the, because of seasonality, and yet these people are dying at a higher and higher rate every week since they got the vax. How do you, how do you explain that one? Well, people have offered various explanations, but they don't offer the same explanation. So come on, this is like what they're doing is they're throwing they're they're throwing dark they're throwing whatever it is you know and it's not sticking. Because they're coming up with these, oh, we have to rationalize it some way. What about this? What about this? These are all hand-waving arguments that people use because they can't back it up with any evidence. Because if they, they did, that would be the definitive thing. So all of these people who claim that I'm wrong can't agree on what is causing the effect. And Steve, I think, um, I don't know what your thoughts are, but I think that is probably part of the problem. I mean, I'm, I speak to um, within lots of groups like you do, and I think there is a, a nervousness. Um, people are worried about their reputations and the fact that, you know, we know that there are these problems in the data. Um, it's incomplete. And the fact, like you've already pointed out, the fact that lots of people, they they can't agree um, on, on the data. Um, the other problem we've got, Steve, is obviously, um, you know, the scientists that did have copies of the data, um, they, some of them had their whole life's work deleted by the private companies which provided the service for that uh, um, at the behest of the New Zealand government. So the other problem we've got is actually there aren't enough people with actually the, the raw data themselves to be able to confirm and validate what you're saying. This is the problem we've got. And and I, you know, I, I haven't seen the raw data, so it's difficult for me to say 100% what, what I think the data is saying. Um, Steve, do you think we're ever going to get to the bottom of this? Um, I, I think the other thing to point out is a lot of the people that are actually critical or, or, or not prepared to put their sort of neck on the line with this, um, they, they believe the vaccines are actually killing people. So this isn't, I don't think, a... Um, an argument to try and convince people. I think a lot of the people that are critical actually already believe that, but they're just worried about putting their neck on the line with this particular data. Um, what, what, what's next for this data, Steve? Do we just need to move on, or do you think there's still mileage in looking at this data? Oh, there, you know, there, 
the data sh- the data should not be ignored. This is the very first time in history we've had record level data uh, that's been disclosed. No health authority in the entire world, in the history of the world, has ever released record level data like this. So I salute the uh, uh, you know Health New Zealand for doing that. Of course, they did it involuntarily because uh, that Barry Young uh, released it on their behalf. And then I obfuscated it, and they're unable to find any records that match. And so nobody can c- com- complain about data privacy because all the information on all the records has been altered. There is no single record that matches anybody's data in that database. So it's public knowledge. There's no harm in making it public, which is what I did. Nobody, nobody can find their data. It's all been, it's all been modified. Not a single date matches anything. There are no, (laughs) there are no numbers. There are no, these uh, national uh, uh, health um, identifiers. Um, It's not, uh, you know, so, so there's no harm in looking at this data. It's, it's publicly available. And the person who had his, his data deleted, it was restored. So nobody lost his life's work uh, in, in posting my data. <clears throat> Sorry, the, the data that I had, on, the data that I published on, on the site. So, you know, epidemiologists should be looking at this, but the reason that they're not is because they don't want to get deplatformed. Yeah. That is, yeah. That is, the, that is the reason. Um, so it, it, it's not because this data shouldn't be looked at. It should be. And it's the same reason that when you go to the UK ONS and you say, hey, why don't you do your time series analysis with uh, over 100 buckets so we can see what's really going on? And they said, no, we don't want to talk about it. They basically, if you talk about this and you show that the vaccine is causing harm, your career is over as an epidemiologist. And if you're in New Zealand and you talk about this thing causing harm, like, forget about it. Like you're never going to find another job in New Zealand as an epidemiologist ever again. And so what, what's happening here is the same thing that's happening with doctors. It's happening with epidemiologists. They have a fear of, of speaking out. Now, there, on the other hand, there are other people who've looked at this and they say, well, I looked at it this way and there's no signal here. Well, so that doesn't mean there's not a signal. It just means that the way you looked at it, you can't find a signal. But the way I looked at it, you can. And every single one of these people said, oh, I'm going to look at it this way. And Kirsch did it wrong. I'm going to look at it this way. See, there's no signal here. But, you know, you can't prove the null hypothesis. There are lots of yeah. people who can, who can, as you know, as you know, James, um, there are lots of people who can throw all sorts of analysis techniques at it and say, oh, look, you know, the average age here is lower than it should be. So these people are, you know, healthier or whatever. I don't see any issue here. Right. You know, there are lots of ways you can look at this data and not find a problem. This, these statistical techniques are what you use if you're analyzing the connection with vaccines and autism. And you're paid big bucks for coming up with these methods which do not find a signal because you're analyzing it the wrong way. If you really want to find out if someone 
if vaccines cause autism, you look at the time difference between when they got the vaccine and when they developed their first autism symptoms. Nobody does that. Why? Because they would instantly find the connection. So they analyze it in different ways. And this is what people do because they don't understand the time series cohort analysis because they're not used to it. They go and they say, I'm going to analyze it this way. Oh, there's no signal, right? So that doesn't mean there isn't a signal. That just means that your analysis technique is similar to the analysis techniques that they use for autism, which find no signal because you can't find a signal. It's a, it's a relatively, um, uh, it's a, if you're looking the wrong way at it, it's a, it, the signal is hard to find. It's like signal to noise uh, theory that, you know, if you, you have to be able to extract out the noise to find a signal. And this is why we look at the, what happens to your mortality rate since you got the shot. That is the, the, the best way to extract the signal from the noise, which is why I do it. And this is why the UK does it. So, People need to go and look at what I did because nobody found an error in the, the time series cohort analysis um, uh, data that I generated from the raw data. No errors on that. No errors on the visualization software. It's done in Excel. Nobody's found any errors. The error and the data clearly shows that when deaths are going down, if you got the shot, your deaths are going up. You need to explain that. And People should be saying, yeah, we confirmed that. In fact, I talked to an epidemiologist in New Zealand who says, yeah, your data is correct. There's no error in your data. This is, and she's on, she believes the vaccines are safe. And she said, there's no errors in your data. You're just interpreting it wrong. The reason that the deaths are going up is because of comorbidities. And, and I'm, I'm laughing my head off at that because <laughs> that just that is nonsensical. But you see, the thing is that unless you spent a lot of time thinking about this and studying it, you could believe her because she's the expert. But it's a completely nonsensical argument. And so when she she said that to me, I said, I have won because this is a top respected epidemiologist, and she's throwing out this argument, and it's complete utter, hand-waving, bullshit argument with no evidentiary support. Listen, Steve, we have run out of time now, but listen, I think you've laid down the challenge to people around the world. I've certainly seen not enough people um, comment on your analysis and actually look at the data themselves. And as far as I can see, the criticisms by Dr. Shiva um, have been fairly hollow, to be honest with you. I've asked him numerous times now to address your analysis specifically, and all he does is um, send me analysis on the lockdowns and why they're causing harm rather than addressing your questions. So there's the challenge, ladies and gentlemen. The data's there um, and Steve's conclusions are there and we need more people to look at the data. Um, thank you so much for coming on the Freeman Report um, today, Steve, and thank you for all of the work you're doing, all of your substat writings and also your analysis. Um, good luck for the future. Thank you very much, um, Steve Kirsch. Right. Okay. Well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Um, the challenge is there. So please, if you know any epidemiologists and all of those people within the freedom movement who have been criticizing the data for being incomplete, go and look at the data. Give it a second chance. Because as Steve said, 
Um, I'm not aware of anybody who's actually come up with a credible criticism of it yet. It seems to be people keep on muddying the water and changing the subject. Right. Okay. Thank you very much for today's show and make sure you stay tuned with us right here on TNT.